Turn in your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 5, actually 6. And this morning we're going to pick up where we left off from last week. And last week, and for those of you who are joining us for the first time, we are engaged in an exposition of the Sermon on the Mount. And we've come to a new section in this wonderful sermon by our Lord. And last week I introduced this section by reminding us of the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. And here in Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 18, Jesus is reminding his disciples or teaching his disciples on how they're to practice their righteousness. That's what's going on in the text, and that's my job as a Bible teacher and expositor is to teach the text, right? What is the text saying? And then what we do is we adjust our lives according to what Jesus is telling us because Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me, right? Not men, we follow Jesus. Um, So last week I introduced this text with a negative and that is I defined hypocrisy for us. And I did that, brothers and sisters, because I don't, I don't want to take uh, these things for granted. I, I don't want to leave any stones unturned, and I want to make sure we're on the same page with one another in the terms that we're using, right? And so what I, what I, what I did is um, I took a whole sermon to define what we call hypocrisy. And hypocrisy defined biblically, and this is not an exhaustive definition, but Hypocrisy defined biblically is a culture of deception that is motivated out of the fear and respect for man rather than the fear of the Lord. You guys with me? So hypocrisy, biblically defined, that's what you're going to see all throughout the pages of Scripture. All right? You're going to see self-deception, Motivated by a fear of man or the praise of man. Okay? That's the big picture of what Jesus is doing in Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 18. Remember I talked about we don't want to miss the the forest for the trees? Right. So last week I gave you the forest. Now we're going to hone in on one of the trees, one of the redwoods here. And the first item that Jesus talks about is giving, giving. Um, The Bible describes hypocrisy as a leaven or a cancer that can destroy communities, that can destroy uh, uh, nations, it can destroy homes with families and children, and it can destroy churches, right? And so we have to be aware of that. We have to be aware of how it works and, and what its machinations are. That means how it spreads amongst Uh, the body, and can develop um, a sickness or disease even to the point of death, okay? By the way, the grace of God teaches us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly, all right? We're not to take the grace of God for granted. God's grace has opened our eyes so that we can see these things, brothers and sisters. God's grace has empowered us to fight remaining sin, right? That's the grace of God. And this is what it looks like. 
okay? So we don't want to fall into hyper-grace, right? Where God does all this for you, and you don't participate in it. Okay, that's, that's going too far with the grace of God, all right? So the Bible teaches that hypocrisy is dangerous to any community or, or spiritual life. But not only did Jesus teach a negative in the text, we also saw that Jesus has a positive declaration for his disciples, and that is he's teaching his disciples also in Matthew 6, 1 through 18, how to truly fear the Lord in all we do, right? So basically what we have here, brothers and sisters, is we have Jesus teaching his disciples how not to do their religious or their practical righteousness, i.e., like who? The Pharisees, okay? But then he goes on to teach them, well, this is how you are to please the Lord. This is how you are to fear the Lord. This is what God-fearing people look like. You know, we don't use that terminology anymore in our day, right? You know, the Carsons are God-fearing people, you know? Paul's a God-fearing man. We, we don't use that in our day anymore. Why not? We should, right? See, you and I, brothers and sisters, those who've been redeemed by God's grace, we are to be characterized by fearing the Lord. God-fearers. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of our wisdom. The fear of the Lord is how you and I do life, right? Not like those who live for men and seeking to please man, right? We've come out of that. And now we live to fear the Lord and please the Lord with joy. That's what this text is all about. And Jesus gives us three areas, not exhaustively, but three areas <clears throat> in how we are to practice our righteousness that he wants to teach us how you and I are to fear the Lord in order to avoid hypocrisy in the way we do church, in the way we do our righteousness or practice our righteousness. Make sense? Okay. <clears throat> so this morning, we're just going to look at one, the first one here, one redwood, and that's the redwood of giving. So let's read verses 1 through 4 to establish the context. Then I'll give you the outline, then we'll pray. Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, and this is the word of the Lord. Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds or alms, in the King James translation, before men, to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. And this is how I plan to handle this text this morning. First thing we're going to do is we're going to define giving biblically, all right? Then the second thing we're going to do is I'm going to show you how not to give from the text, i.e. how to avoid hypocritical giving or insincere giving, if you will. And then the third thing we're going to do is we're going to look at Jesus' counsel on how we are to give. What makes us a giving people 
as God's people. Amen? All right, let's pray and ask God's blessing on our time. God, we thank you that it's by grace we have been saved, and we know that it's by grace we will persevere. But we know a part of grace making us alive means that we cooperate with your spirit that you've given to us by your grace. We know that grace means, Lord, that we will fight the good fight of faith. We know that grace means that we will keep ourselves in the love of God as we are kept by your power. And so this morning we pray for your amazing grace that's brought us here, and we pray that you would help us, Lord, to see your glory through your word, that our hearts would delight to align ourselves with your counsel and your will, out of our love for you, because of your grace. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> so now I want to open by establishing uh, a couple of things here, and these are just things that I need to say by passing. The first thing I want you to know, brothers and sisters, about whether it's giving, fasting, or praying, we're just talking about giving right now, that Jesus assumes that all Christians will do it, okay? Jesus assumes that giving, praying, and fasting is something we all do. That's just what Christians do, right? It's a part of our spiritual DNA, right, brothers and sisters? It's, 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 it's a result of the nature that God has given you being born again, okay? So it's, it's, it's as basic to Christianity giving is as basic to Christianity as eating is to us being alive. You understand? And that's why he doesn't command it here. He says, when you pray, when you fast, when you give, make sure you're not like these guys over here when you do it. Okay? So that's important to establish. We, this is just what Christians do. All right? Now, we want to make sure we're doing it according to God and not men. That's the point. All right? Don't just assume about yourself that you're just going to drift into doing these things like God. That's not how grace works. All right? Grace doesn't automatically pick your arm up for you and then you give right or you pray. And that's not how grace works. You cooperate with the Spirit of God because you've been made alive by the grace of God. It's you. If you, through the Spirit, do put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. That's you, not the Spirit of God, right? So let's get that straight right off the bat. We don't want to fall into hyper-grace. You guys know what I'm talking about? Or hyper-Calvinism. We can call it that, too. All right? We want to be clear about these things. So Jesus is assuming that his people are going to do this, and he warns them, when you do these things, don't do them like the scribes and Pharisees. All right? And the reason why he warns them against the scribes and Pharisees is because he's telling them that the scribes and Pharisees do all their work insincerely. Okay? And don't mistake insincerity for seriousness. Right? The scribes and Pharisees were very serious about what they were doing, but they were insincere. Make sense? You got to make that distinction in your mind. Okay? And so... Jesus is going to define the difference between sincerity and insincerity. And so that way we can just take some of the edge off the word hypocrisy when I use it. You know, hypocrites. Nobody likes hearing that, right, over and over again, right? Really what he's talking about, brothers and sisters, is you and I are to avoid insincerity in the way we do church, in the way we worship, in the way we do life as Christians. 
and he's warning us, okay? Um, now, some commentators believe that Jesus is simply teaching here that Christians are, not, are, that Christians are to give anonymously, and they make a righteousness out of anonymous giving. So, for example, in verse 3, when Jesus says, but when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand are doing, so you can see, and, the, and what they do is they go off to the race and say, hey, look, what Jesus is teaching here is all we got to do as the people of God is, is live anonymously, and we'll avoid this charge of avoiding hypocrisy. Now, do you actually think that that's what Jesus is doing in the text? Just telling you and I that the way we practice our righteousness is just make sure you're doing it anonymously. We know that's not the case, right? Jesus is using what theologians call here hyperbole. He's using what we call figurative language. It's a figure of speech. How do we know that? Because have any of you did something with your left hand without your white hand being aware of it? I've tried it. I can't do it. You understand? Try it sometime. <laughs> it doesn't work. Because it's a figure of speech, brothers and sisters. He's going after something by highlighting this. And it's clear in the text. He's telling us why he's using this figure of speech. Because he wants his disciples to understand something. Whatever you do, when you do it, make sure you're doing it before God and not before who? Men. You understand? And that applies to all of the righteousnesses that we are to practice. Giving, fasting, praying. We'll just call it righteousnesses for now. Is that fair? Okay. So we're on the same page there. So Jesus tells us what the problem is. So if Jesus is not teaching <clears throat> us... Uh, um, well, let me tell you what Jesus is doing first before I go there. What Jesus is doing is telling us to make sure that our giving is before God in the way we give rather than men. Giving anonymously is an application of that, and I just want to make that clear. So my point is this, brothers and sisters, Jesus is not, Jesus is not teaching here on anonymous giving, meaning whether, it's pro or, whether he's pro or con with it, right? But it can be used as an application. So if you're giving anonymously, praise God. That's great. Or if you're not, praise God. You understand? That's not the issue. So let's get into the issue of Jesus not teaching anonymous giving here. What is Jesus doing in the text? And what is he teaching his disciples and us through his disciples? Jesus is teaching the difference between the way a sincere Christian gives from the way an insincere Christian gives. Okay? That's what he's teaching here. Now let me say this. Brothers and sisters, we're all going to struggle with hypocritical tendencies, right? Because you struggle with hypocritical tendencies or hypocritical feelings doesn't mean you're a hypocrite. Okay? So don't go there in your mind. Don't let the devil play games with you with this sermon. All right? We're going we're gonna to be doing this the whole time. Ouch. Ooh. That hurts, Lord. Ooh, that's me. Oh, I, we're going to struggle. Okay? But because there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, we can come to the light that our deeds might be made known that they are rotten God. Right? Isn't that what John, 3, 16, or John 19 says? But he who's still in his sins can't stand the light. They don't want their deeds to be made known. 
They don't want to sit under preaching that exposes them and shows them their need for Jesus. They want preaching that just makes them feel good. You know, I, I come to worship so I can feel good and get my worship on. And that's a part of it, right? But you got to be careful getting your worship on. Because sometimes getting your worship on means you need to feel bad so you can go to Christ. Right? And that's what the people of God are all about. We're all about real Christianity. Living before God and not man in the way we do these things. You guys, Christianity is a life and death matter. It's very, very serious. And America has turned it, by and large, into entertainment. America has turned it into kind of this virtual reality, but it's not real. You know, we, we're, we really don't have to give our lives for the gospel, right? In America, we just don't do that. <laughs> or do we? Just because one may give anonymously doesn't mean he's free from the charge of giving insincerely. In our text, Jesus warns us about giving like hypocrites. We are not to be like them. And the first thing I want to un you to understand, brothers and sisters, is that hypocrites give, and they give a lot. Have you noticed that? They do. They give money. They give time. They give their efforts. They give their energy. The Pharisees were doing that, right? They give. Okay? Hypocrites give just like everyone else. The problem, though, is they do it all for what? For the praise and the glory of man. Now, what does that mean? Does it mean that they're just trying to get their ego stroked and, and whatever they do? That's a small part of what the Bible means by living for the praise of man or the fear of man. No, the, living for the praise of man and fearing man is a lifestyle. It's a culture, brothers and sisters. You understand? And I talked a little bit about it last week, and I couldn't go into it much because I only have so much time. But the, 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 the praise and the fear of man is what governs nations and people groups and homes and churches it's when people begin to just do things for Pastor Ernie with no regard to man. I know you guys won't do anything for a mutt like me, right? But I'm talking about men that, you know, we can really esteem because they're something and they're somebody, right? And then before you know it, we're following them and not who? God. And it's subtle, isn't it? It's just who we are. It's just what we gravitate towards, right? And so, for example, when they leave... We're like, oh, our world just falls apart, right? But God's going to use that to show you that, you know, you've probably been serving me for who? Men. And I had to take them away from you to show you that in your heart. See how it works? See what I'm saying? So you and I can learn to trust who? And live for who? In everything. Everything. That means when the money's gone, you keep serving. Right? It means when the pastor that you like's gone, you keep what? Right? It means when the culture kind of gets sticky and rough and Christianity uh, is not in vogue anymore in America, you keep what? Serving because you're not living before men. Right? We're living before who? God. 
That's how we do it. That's what Christians do. Period. You see? <clears throat> Jesus and God hate insincerity. It's a spoiler. And so do we, brothers and sisters, right? In Matthew chapter 23, verse 5, you don't have to turn there, Jesus summarizes the lifestyle of an insincere Christian. He says this, they do all their works to be seen by men. And read that sometime. Take Matthew chapter 23 and just read it. And there's, a, there, there's, a, there's just a, a, um, a list of things of how insincere people live that's characterized by the Pharisees. But I don't want to focus so much on that. I want to get to how we fear the Lord, okay? How we, as Christians, are to magnify our God because we love him and we serve him out of love. See, those who live completely uh, with an eye to men, with no regard to God, are satisfied with giving in a legal sense, right? I've been there. Meaning, you know, I'm just satisfied that the law says to give, and I give my 10% or whatever it is that you feel, you know, you need to be giving before God, and you just do it legally, because the law says what? You do it. But you don't know why, you don't know what, how it's connected, you just do it because you were told, if you will. Follow me? See, that's how the Pharisees were teaching this in their culture. With no regard to God, and what God thinks, and how God feels, and why we do what we do. They don't understand the character of God, the person of God. Right? You don't want religion that doesn't tell you about who God is and what he's like and everything that he commands. You should be picking up on that, brothers and sisters. Don't just do it because you're told. All right? Pharisees don't care whether they give grudgingly or cheerfully or out of their abundance or poverty. They're just satisfied that they, they met the, the, the law, the demand, right? But you and I know that God loves a what? A cheerful giver. You and I know that God loves when he, when he saw the woman who cast in her two what? By the way, incidentally, if Jesus was teaching anonymous giving, why did he highlight the two mites that she cast in? He could have not said to, in his example, he could have just didn't have to make that known. You guys understand that, right? See, he's not teaching anonymous giving. He used that woman, that poor woman, as an example, and he said that woman, meaning he identified her, and how much she gave, right? Two mites. And she gave out of her poverty. And he says she gave more than all of them put together because she gave out of her po poverty. What's the big deal there? This means something to your heavenly father. That's what Jesus was teaching his disciples. This means more to God than all those who gave out of their abundance. And it's not to say, Jesus' Jesus's point, brothers and sisters, was not that those who gave out of their abundance were doing anything wrong, but what he's saying is what's more important to God. The question is, do you care about what's more important to God? See, that's the point. Do you care what God thinks? You see? Not the amount what God thinks. Are you living before God? Or is your religion strictly before men? And what they think and what's going on with men and how we interact. And you never look up to ask God, you know what, Lord, what do you think? 
And what do you think? That's why God gives us this. That's why we need to have our heads buried in this. That's why we need to study the Scriptures daily and feed upon the Scriptures. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. 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 Not man. God. Now, I want to give you two examples of insincere giving or insincerity in the way we practice righteousness. The first example is prayer. Turn to Luke chapter 18. And I want to highlight this. And I want to move pretty quickly through this. And then I'm going to contrast it with righteous giving. Giving that you and I do and we need to continue to do until the Lord returns, brothers and sisters. And I don't want to limit giving to just dollars and cents. That's the, the term in the Greek for giving is the term uh, where our brother Ron gets his name, Ilio, which means what, brother Ron? Mercy. It means mercy deed. It means to, to have compassion. It means act of mercy or act of kindness. All right? It was seen through giving money. That's one of the expressions of it. But there's many ways we can give. You guys realize that, right? So let's not just limit our giving to money. Let's not just limit it to monetary stuff. We're talking about giving ourselves away. All of us. All your heart, mind, soul, and strength to the Lord. Verse, uh, Acts, or I'm sorry, Luke 18, verses 1 through 9. Or I'm sorry, 9 through 14. Also he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were what? Righteous and despised others. Now, I want, what, I, what I want to highlight about this example is I want to show you this man who thinks he's serving God is really living before who? Himself. Watch. Two men went to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Listen to how Jesus describes this. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. You guys get it? Remember our you remember our definition of hypocrisy? It has a measure of self-deception. He actually thinks he's praying to who? But he's actually praying to who? Himself. God is not acknowledging this. God does not care about this. This man has an ego problem, a spiritual ego problem. Right? It's all about himself. Now watch. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One, the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. <laughs> Do I need to say anything about that? <laughs> what does that mean? How are you not like other men? Listen. Extortioners, unjust, adulterers, and even like this tax collector. You know what he's saying, brothers and sisters? God, I thank you that I'm not a sinner. The problem with that is what? He's a sinner that can't see his sin. That's the most dangerous kind of sinner, right? The self, what? Righteous sinner. See his self-righteousness? It blinds him to the reality of his need 
for God. And that's why Jesus said about the self-righteous, I've not come for the, the, the righteous or those who are well, but I've come for the who? The sick. Those who see that they need a Savior. And preachers need to highlight that in the way we preach. That's why I have to poke and stick and talk about hypocrisy and, and define it and clarify it so that you guys can say, hey, hey, be merciful to me, the sinner, Lord. I'm the sinner. We're the sinner. You see? But this guy, this Pharisee, in his religion, okay, he knows nothing of this. He says, and on top of that, verse 12, I fast twice a week. I give tithes to all that I possess. So he's fasting, praying, and what? Wow. It's the very things that Jesus is talking about back in Matthew chapter 6 that we're studying. Praying, fasting, and giving. He's proud of it, isn't he? And he thinks he's doing it before who? But he's not. He's self-righteous. Right? He doesn't even see his hypocrisy, does he? Well, let's look at the second example Jesus gives. And the tax collector standing afar off. By the way, tax collectors were known for stealing. They were thieves. Remember Zacchaeus, the tax collector? He told the Lord, I'll get, Lord, I'll give back what I've taken. Okay, so they were known in Jewish culture, not as, you know, respectable people, but really justified thieves. Okay? Very sophisticated thieves. And, and, and he knows this. He says, And the tax collector standing afar off would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus says this, I tell you, that man went down to his house justified, pardoned, declared righteous, rather than the other. And then he tells you the reason why. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. God resists the proud, but he gives his amazing, saving grace to the humble. This man humbled himself under the hand of God, and God lifted him up, and Jesus exalted him. Right? Okay? So, the point I'm making by this, brothers and sisters, is that you and I need to make sure that we're not living before men. See an example of that here? Very subtle, isn't it? Okay, now I want to give you another example. Turn to Acts chapter 5. And this is the New Testament church getting established in the first century and how God did it. And... Uh, in Acts chapter 5, we have an example of an insincere couple who got with the people of God and was excited about um, the changes that were being made in Israel as a result of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. But a certain man named Ananias with, his, with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession, and he kept back part of the proceeds, his wife also being aware of it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. Did you guys see what's going on here? So they sold a possession. Let's say like they had a house, they, they had a, another house worth a lot of money. They sold that, and they brought it to the apostles' feet. and said, here, look, we want to... Give this to the church, all right? 
But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your hearts to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? So they didn't give the full amount, but they made it look like they gave the what? Full amount. See the hypocrisy? Okay? See the lie? While it remained, was it not your own? See, God knows that, brothers and sisters. It would have been better for them, Ananias and Sapphira, to just come and say, hey, you guys, we want to give the church half of what we got. And, and that's okay. Call us greedy. Call us stingy. Call us what you want, but we're going to give half, okay? That's just where we're at in our maturity. Take it or leave it. That's how I'd have did it, <laughs> right? But they didn't do that. They wanted to look, right, good, righteous, holy. You know, we give this amount. But their hearts were really what? Loving the money. See, there's the incipient nature of hypocrisy. Very subtle. It's a heart sin, right? Works its way out into our lives. So Peter says this, And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? Because that's what they did. You have not lied to men. You are not living before men. You have lied to who? God. This is what they couldn't see. You understand? Peter is bringing to their awareness, you, you guys, we're, we're not playing church here. You're living before men. You've lied to God. You understand? When we take our marriage vows, when we get baptized, when we join a church, we're doing all that before who, brothers and sisters? God, and it's serious. Dead serious. Dead serious. These two people died. It's so serious. It's not funny. Right? See, brothers and sisters, we are living before God. We, Paul said we live and move and have our being in God. Everybody does. You and I have been made alive to see it. Those who are dead in trespasses and sins can't. The only thing they know how to do is live before who? That's all they know. It comes natural to them. Follow me? They can't see God. Jesus told Nicodemus, a man must be born again to even see the kingdom of heaven. You understand that? This is a scholar in Israel that Jesus is saying this to. The one who should have known the coming of the Messiah and how to recognize him. That's their whole purpose for existence. The Pharisees. And he missed it. He missed it. And all Israel with him, by and large, except for a remnant. You see? We have been given eyes to see grace. We have been given ears to hear grace. You understand? These people here were blind to this reality, and Peter gave them an opportunity to repent. It's in the text. When they came in, all Ananias and Sapphira had to do was this. You know what? Peter, you're right, man, I'm a hypocrite. Well, there's hope for hypocrites. I'm sure the conversation would have took that road. But no, he insisted on keeping up his what? His lie. 
his pretension, his front. You understand? And that's not good. Then his wife comes in, little, and he asks her the same question. And she should have confessed. She should have came clean, if you will, but she didn't. And you know what happened? God, God killed them. Not Peter, God. And you know why he did it? Let's read in verse 11. This is why God did it. Let's, let's pick it up in verse 10, because I'm trying to save time here. I'd, I'd read the whole thing, but it's a, it's a negative thing. But since it's the word of God, we need to give it its proper attention, so it's just the sake of time that I'm not. And I probably wasted all my time just telling you guys that, right? <laughs> okay, I'm learning, I'm learning. Be patient with me. Verse 10, then immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. Peter didn't do that, God did. And the young men came in and found her dead and, and carrying her out, buried her with her husband. Now watch this. So great fear came upon all the church and upon all who heard these things. Okay? See, living before God squells hypocrisy, doesn't it? Right? Living before God, the fear of the Lord makes you wise. Makes you wise up, doesn't it? When you begin to realize, oh God, you, you see? You know? And that person dropped dead just now because of you, you, you're involved? Woo! Remember, it's like the Apostle Paul telling the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 when they were mishandling the Lord's table. And they were getting really lax with it. And Paul says, you know, some of you are dying in your midst because of this. And they're like, what? What do you mean dying? This is New Testament stuff. Sleeping, Christians dying because they were mishandling the Lord's table. It's like Paul in 1 Corinthians 5, the same thing, where he says the church, okay, that had that sexually moral relationship and the church wasn't doing anything about it, the fear of man or man pleasing, right? And hypocrisy was growing. Read 1 Corinthians chapter 5, it says hypocrisy as leaven, just like here. It's growing in the church and Paul had to confront it to stop the cancer, stop the disease. Because when one person in the body sins and starts living in sin and gets away with it, the rest of the body feels like they can what? See it? See how it works? And then God has to do this thing called chastisement. And you and I, as a body, play a role in that uncomfortable aspect of body life. Brothers and sisters, let's not have to go there, please. Let's not have to go there, okay? So Ananias and Sapphira were judged by God because of their insincerity and their lack of repenting from an insincere, hypocritical lifestyle. Okay, let me just say this in passing. God never condemns a person for their sin. He winked at that. But what he does condemn you for is unrepenting of it. Right? You understand? Okay? Don't take God's grace for granted. Repent when he gives you the opportunity. And love is mercy, love is grace, and love is kindness. And he will show himself to you to be kind and merciful and loving 
And that's what your heart longs for, right, brothers and sisters? But he'll appear harsh to those who take his grace for granted. And there's no sin in God. He'll appear harsh to a church that takes his grace for granted. He'll appear harsh to a marriage that takes his grace for granted. He'll appear harsh to an individual that takes his grace for granted. Hebrews chapter 10. Very, very scary passage. And it's spoken to Christians who are taking God's grace for granted. Hypocrisy. So insincere Christians do everything to be seen of men. But how do you and I avoid it? How do we practice our giving in a sincere fashion? And what I want to do, brothers and sisters, I just want to give you the flavor. I want to give you the culture or the attitude of righteous giving as defined in the Bible. And this applies to money. This applies to service in the church. This applies to wherever you give. This is the reason why you give. Is that, is that okay? I'm not going to give you a list of principles, you know, all right? Well, make sure you give anonymously. Make sure you give cheerfully. No, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you the DNA for that that shows you how to do all that, all right? That's what I believe. That's how the Bible presents it. Just like hypocrisy is a culture, giving, cheerfully, or, uh, uh, giving sincerely is a culture because of, 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 of God's grace and his salvation. So that brings me to... How do, what does God-fearing giving look like, all right? So let me uh, just turn you to uh, some passages. Turn to Acts chapter 4. And in turning there, let me, let me just state that the key to God-fearing giving, God-fearing service, God-fearing practicing your righteousness, the key to it is to be included in God's kingdom and community. Okay, that's the key to it all, right there. And that begins with being born again. Okay? When you and I become born again, we become alive, and it's like, wow. And we've been translated from the kingdom of darkness, where you can't see because it's dark, into the kingdom of his light. Jesus says, I am the light of the world, right? And like babies, we have to find our way, okay? Like babies. So it means that we might trip over, over hypocritical giving at a stage in our development and growth. That's why I said be careful. Don't just write yourself off as a hypocrite because you might see a hypocritical tendency, right? You got to grow as a Christian. God knows that, right? We might struggle through the whole realm of lusts for a while, brothers and sisters, right? And sexual immorality. Have to struggle out of that. We might have to struggle out of anger and mortify that lifestyle so it doesn't dominate us. But God promises that he will be there with us and he will empower us as we call upon him, as we trust him, as we lean upon him. And that's the relationship between God and his people. We stay close to our Father. Acts chapter 4, this is an example of why the church gave. Pick it up in verse uh, 32. 
Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. The context here, brothers and sisters, is the first century church was under heavy persecution. I mean, the guns were being brought out through guys like the Apostle Paul running around like a raven maniac, terrorizing Christians, right? That's the context of the book of Acts. So Jesus has gone back to heaven, right? He's empowered his disciples, Pentecost, 50, right? Right, 50 days he promised, I will come and I'll pour out my spirit. And so the spirit's filling all these people in Jerusalem and, and they're like, and Christianity's beginning to take root. It's beginning to get established in the earth. Do you understand that? And Satan knows that and all the forces of darkness begin to rise up and try to stamp it out before it takes root and grows and spreads to the Gentiles. Right? There's warfare, there's battle. And the first, Christ, first century Christians knew that. They were a part of something. See it? They knew this. They weren't just walking on the planet and saying, oh, we'll give. Here. Oh, there's another person to need. We'll give. No, it's, it's, it's not. See, their giving's not disconnected from what God is doing. Their giving is not disconnected from, from God and Jesus and Him leaving and, and promises and His Word. They're all in tune with that. And because they're so enraptured with that, they give. And they give their all. And they're thankful to be a part of this wonderful kingdom of God in their day. See it? They don't take it for granted. They don't live as this, uh, kingdom of God, what's that? You know, I got a football game to watch. <laughs> you know? Kingdom of God, yeah, I heard about it. and I, No, they give their all to it. All their heart mind, soul, and strength, brothers and sisters, right? And when you do that, you are sure to kill hypocrisy, guaranteed. Now, it's a challenge, isn't it? Because how many of us love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength perfectly? None of us do. I fall short and I'm preaching this stuff. You guys know how convicting it is to read this and I have to talk to God's people about it and make sure your life's aligned to it? You know how convicting that is? You think I like doing this? <laughs> no. Right? Now I'm like, Lord, what are you showing us? What, what is going on with me? I'm the one loving these football games and, 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 and I'm a pastor. You get that? I'm like, Lord, I fall so short. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your grace. Thank you that salvation is not up to my works because woo, I fall woefully short. And Lord, be merciful to me, the what? Sinner. You understand? And show me how to be like this, Lord, because I want it with all my being. Now that you gave me a new nature, I want to live for your kingdom. I want to live for your glory. I want to die. It would be my highest privilege and honor, Lord. And I mean this, brothers and sisters. I live, and I can't wait for the day that I die for the Lord. I don't care if it's a bullet to my head. I don't care if it's a knife to my heart. I don't it is a privilege to die for this cause. Amen? You might not be ready. But it's a privilege. 
It is a privilege to serve in God's kingdom as a pastor. Listen to that. God made Ernie King. Who's, who am I? I lack self-esteem just as a man. And God has chosen me to preach to you. That is a privilege and the highest honor. You understand that? And see, those out there don't recognize, they can't see it. They're dead to it. They don't understand the glory of it. And they don't understand when Jesus comes back, it's all going to be made known for everyone to see. And you and I are going to cash in, brothers and sisters. We're going to be going, this is what we were talking about. This is it right here. Look at this. You understand that? This is why I gave. This is why I served day and night in the church. This is why I, I, I did things that I didn't want to do and I dragged myself to prayer meeting. This is why. Do you understand? Jesus, he's back now. And he's establishing his kingdom where every eye will see and every knee will bow and say, Jesus, you're Lord. You are Lord. Do you understand that? And then they're going to go on to regret, why didn't I, when I was down here? And we're going to like weep. I weep now. We don't have to wait for that day. My heart breaks for those who are dead and trespasses in, whose eyes are blinded by the ignorance of their willful, sinful unbelief. And I pray God open their eyes. And you keep praying that, brothers and sisters, because we believe, don't we? This is true. This is reality. All this stuff is virtual reality. This, that's virtual. You know why? Because it's temporary. It's passing away. It's not going to be there one day. Neither is this. Neither is this. Right? But the new creation, that's going to live and abide forever. Amen? The New Testament church, verse 33, gave because they were a part of God's big picture. And with great power, the apostles gave witness to the... Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, oh, okay, yeah. And with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace came upon them all, nor was there anyone among them who lacked. For all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet, and they distributed to each as everyone had need. So you see how Ananias and Sapphira were trying to follow what the first century church was doing? You see it? Because the next chapter is them. See, see what's going on? See, they were living before men. They were just doing it. They were like, hey, honey, all these Christians, you know, this is what they do. Let's just, let's do so we can fit into their culture. And their, but their hearts weren't in it. They didn't see what was going on. You know, they weren't there doing it with a heart for God and their brothers and sisters because they knew that God was establishing the first century church and this is what it takes to get it established. Let me make an application for EGBC as we go through transition. Ain't nobody who's a member of this church should be sitting on the fence as we go through transition. You need to see what God is doing here. You need to get involved with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength because it's your church. You understand that? 
God's people are your people. You understand that? God's kingdom is now your kingdom. Take some personal ownership. That's the point. That's what motivates us. It's ours. All things are ours. God has given it to us. Follow me? Do you believe that? Or is it just, you know what? Really? <laughs> Why? I need to know more about this then. Yeah, a lot more so I can continue to get motivated, so I can continue to squell hypocrisy in my soul and my remaining sin, so I can give my all one day to your kingdom and its righteousness, Lord Jesus. And may the legacy that I live when I leave, okay, from my children and all those who know me, as this person lived to please the Lord. Ernie King was a true, genuine, bona fide Christian. He didn't live for men. He lived for God and all that he did. He didn't do it perfectly, but he did it. Right? Let me give you an example because Jesus talks about the reward. He says, when we, and let me, so here's the thing, going back to the text, you don't have to turn back there, but so Jesus talks about Doing these things in secret, in the Old Covenant, the secret that God is talking about here was a lifestyle of fearing the Lord, okay? It was viewed as a secret, okay, under Old Covenant. You guys can do your research on that in your own time or whatever, and that's what Jesus is following into this New Testament teaching here. It's all, Jesus' teaching is always rooted under the Old Covenant, always without exception. Anything he teaches, you, you, you can trace it back to the Old Covenant, He's not operating inconsistent with that, okay? And here's the point. Proverbs are full of this. That's why Solomon talks about the fear of the Lord, the fear of the Lord, the fear of the Lord, and he calls that the secret place. So you and I, because our, our, our eyes have been open and we see, but the world can't see it, it appears to them like it's a what? Secret. Do you understand that? It's like, what are they talking about? <laughs> and grace of God and, and living for this, and they, they actually like that praying stuff and, and going there and sacrificing and serving. They, they actually like that? I mean, I just do it because I have to. <laughs> right? They don't get it. You guys know what I'm talking about? It has to be given to you. You can cry out and ask God for it. He'll give it to you. He gives grace. But you got to humble yourself. you got to own some things before him. But he'll give it. He loves to give good gifts to men. Freely. Acts chapter 10. I want to show you a guy who practiced this righteous giving and was rewarded openly as a result. And the open reward was he was chosen to serve God in his kingdom, which was his highest what? Privilege and honor and joy. Beats money, beats recognition, beats the awards that you can get from your work, you know, for, for, for service done. It's when God says, you know what, angel number eight, go down and choose that Gentile centurion because I heard his prayers and I've seen his alms. And they've come up as a memorial to me and I'm going to reward him before all. Okay? Watch. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius. By the way, he's not a Jew. He's a Roman centurion, Gentile. Jews probably hated this. 
Jews who weren't sanctified by God's grace. A a centurion of what was called the Italian Regiment. A devout man, one who feared God with all his household, who gave, here's our word back in Matthew chapter 6, alms. What does your translation say? Alms. Okay, that's the same word used for charitable deeds that Jesus is using back in our text. It's the same word if you do a word study, right? (coughs) Who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. Okay? Who is this man? Why is he living this way? And is that works? About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming and saying to him, listen to what the angel says, Cornelius. And when he observed him, he was afraid and said, what is it, Lord? So he said to him, your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. You know what that means? God has seen your prayers and your alms on a continual basis, and he has sent me down to reward you. You say, well, what's the reward? You know what the reward is, brothers and sisters? Cornelius is used by God for a very important piece in his kingdom. Do you understand that? See, we at EGBC, brothers and sisters, should be longing to be used by God in Sacramento, right? You guys know what I'm talking about? If, if we were on the news and, and it was for us being persecuted or what, God picked that. God chose us, our church. You understand that? God knows that when we're God-fearing and we begin to align our lives according to his word, this is not works. This is called practical righteousness. And he rewards you for that. Not, not this benzo stuff, not money and, and extra boats and cars and things like that. No, moves you up in his kingdom to serve. You understand what I'm talking about? And that's the believers, the true child of God, the son or daughter of God, that's their highest joy. Promotion in God's kingdom, if you will, right? Right? I was a doorkeeper, and now God moved me to a, a bathroom cleaner, and from a bathroom cleaner to back to a doorkeeper, and then, <laughs> right? But we're being used by God, and that's our highest joy and reward. Do you live for that, brothers and sisters? Or are you living for men, money, carnal security? I want the affirmation that my pastor likes me today, and that just gives me my good feeling for the, the next. Or are you living before God in all you do, Right? want to be used by his grace. You guys know what I'm talking about? See, brothers and sisters, give yourself wholly to God and his kingdom. That's how you kill hypocrisy. Yes, you're going to have to grow in it. Yes, we're going to have to get over football and video games at some point, right? Men, for those who are entangled in that, yes, we got to get over our sinful lifestyles. God knows that. But that's what sanctification is all about, right? We're going somewhere. We're not the finished product. Are you the finished product? God's got to burn off a lot of dross, right? But you and I, brothers and sisters, should be excited. It should be our highest honor and joy to serve God. It should be our highest honor and joy to give to his kingdom. It should be our highest honor and joy to do whatever he calls us to do because we're living before him and not before men.
And that's how you kill hypocrisy. Amen? Let's pray.